Every year in my town, there's this fantastic crafts in the park. It's always the day before Mother's Day, so it's fun to go and shop and get lots of cool stuff. At any rate, I came across One Earth Body Care, and it changed my life. Now, you may think I'm being hyperbolic, but I'm not. I am extraordinarily smelly, and I have tried every natural deodorant under the sun. Nothing has worked except for their fantastic natural deodorant. They have a variety of scents. They are non-greasy, cream-based formula, baking soda-free. Magnesium hydroxide keeps odor at bay, and let me tell you, it sure does. Organic and gentle, and they have wonderful, enchanting essential oil aromas. My favorite is vanilla rose, there's vanilla spice, lavender lime, lemongrass, cedar, sage. They also have wonderful shampoo bars, changed my daughter's life. Her hair looks amazing and conditioner bars. They have wonderful salves for dry skin and so much more. So please check them out at oneearthbodycare.com. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. Did you know that one in six adults suffers from chronic pain or illness that is either medically unexplained or unresponsive to virtually any treatment? Now, these patients often live with a psycho, psychologic, I hope I'm saying that right, disorder, PPD, the clinical term for a very real stress-related and brain-generated medical conditions. Now, I've met several people like this in my life where I knew one woman, she went to Mayo Clinic for a week. They did every test possible and there's like, we can't find anything wrong with you. And I think one of the most important things to realize is these people aren't hypochondriacs. They feel their pain. And here to talk about this is the wonderful David Clark, MD, president of the Psychopsychologic Disorders Association. Psychophysiologic. Psychophysiologic. I'm really bad at pronouncing things. Psychophysiologic, thank you, Disorders Association, PPDA, a 503c3 nonprofit dedicated to ending the chronic pain epidemic. Dr. Clark, welcome to Health Power. <clears throat> Great to be with you, Lisa. Thank you so much. It's nice to have you. I can mispronounce Smith. So I found this so fascinating. I was so excited when I heard about you because I've seen this in my life. And People are like, oh, the doctors just think I'm crazy. And I said, yeah, some of them may be discounting. Let's be honest. Sometimes you get one that doesn't have the best bedside manner. But I believe there's something wrong with you. But I think it's based more on trauma or past experiences. Am I on the right track? Is that what you're looking at? That's absolutely it. I mean, the, the common assumption is that if you've got pain or illness, that you must have a disease or injury to explain it. And right. that's what we healthcare professionals are taught. I mean, that's what I was taught through the first seven years of my formal education. And that if you don't have a disease or injury to explain your symptoms, then the assumption is that, you know, it's all in your head, it's not real, you can't handle your stress, there's nothing we can do for you, we can't diagnose you, you're just going to have to live with it, we can't cure you. And it turns out that all of those assumptions are wrong. And I found that out only in the eighth year of my formal training, it's kind of embarrassing oh. to admit that, but uh, I encountered a patient, I didn't know the first thing about diagnosing or treating after having been pretty successful up to that point. So it kind of came as a shock to wow. find a patient that I had no clue uh, what to do for. But I was fortunate uh, in two areas. Number one, I accidentally stumbled on the fact that she was uh, dealing with a severe stress in her life. And number two, there was a psychiatrist at UCLA where I was in training uh, that knew what to do and actually cured this patient, which shocked me because we could find nothing wrong with her. She had a severe illness. 
And the fact that you could you could cure somebody like that just by talking to them um, was something I'd never even heard of, let alone uh, seen happen in practice. And that that was kind of my start in this. Right. And you know, today talking to you, I'm seven thousand plus patients later, and oh uh, it's been the most single most rewarding part of my career, I have to say. Oh, I absolutely would think so because so many of these people are going to be invalidated when they can't find the reason. Yeah, they all feel like, uh, you know, am I going crazy? Um, What is happening to me? And then, you know, if you watch the doctors on television, uh, what they do is they always find a rare disease to explain uh, what's going on. And, you know, Dr. House, uh, Doc Martin, the British uh, series, uh, they find more rare diseases in, uh, you know, uh, a month or two of their season than I did in my entire career. I mean, I've diagnosed some rare (laughs) stuff. But this is this is 40% of people who go to the doctor um, have a real condition. The symptoms are generated by the brain. Absolutely real. One of my patients was a 17-year-old girl who was getting massive doses of morphine around the clock. Uh, She'd been in the hospital for 70 days. She had seen six other gastrointestinal specialists. You're never going to convince that patient that her symptoms aren't real. Uh, And yet when the stress was uncovered, uh, we were able to intervene successfully with that. And she was out of the hospital in a week. And she was off of all the narcotic medications in 30 days. So it's now, it's a completely treatable condition. Now there's something that actually happens in the brain, correct? Yes. Talk to yes. us about we that. We found that only in the 21st century with uh, functional magnetic resonance imaging studies that people with this condition actually have a change in the circuits in their brain. So when people say, "Do you think this is all in my head?" Uh, we can truthfully say, "No, it is in your brain." Uh, these circuits have physically changed. And we even have one study now that shows that with the appropriate pain relief psychology, the circuits can change back to a healthy pattern. Uh, so, wow. you know, it's that's why we call it psychophysiologic. You know, it's a, a, a 10 syllable you know, mouth bender <laughs> to try to say that. But it's a blend of psychology and physiology. Oh, There's a real, uh, real um, connection um, with the anatomy in this condition. Well, you know, my mother lived with chronic pain for most of her adult life, and then she died in her 50s from ovarian cancer. And I look at this stuff, I think, oh, and that was 28 years ago. And I think, wow, if she had had this because she had a very traumatic childhood and a lot of stress and a lot of undealt with trauma. And that's the same thing with the friend that I mentioned. He went to the Mayo Clinic for a week. I mean, every kind of abuse you can have as a young child, especially it, I do think it makes an impact on your brain, obviously. And I think you also hold tension in other parts of your body. Isn't there, like, if you can kind of walk us down that as well. Yeah, it can be any, symptoms that result from that can be anywhere from head to toe. Um, you know, right. migraines, dizziness, ringing in the ears, temporomandibular joint problems in the jaw, difficulty swallowing, visual disturbances, back pain is a big one, uh, pain in the in the neck, in the spine there. Difficulty breathing, chest problems, irritable bowel, fibromyalgia, pelvic pain, genital pain, joint pain, numbness and tingling in the extremities. Uh, The only common denominator in the symptoms really is that people tend to have more than one at a time. Uh, The more symptoms you have and the more diagnostic tests you have that are normal, the more likely that you've got a PPD uh, as the explanation. And we can diagnose it. We just look for the stresses. 
We find the stresses in a person's life, which can be childhood stress. Uh, in actually a majority of my patients, it was in childhood with a long-term impact. And when we find them, we can treat them and people get better. Well, talk to us about that. How are they treated? Well, in the childhood stress, which is a majority of my patients, it can be anything that uh, has a long-term impact, uh, anything uh, that uh, impacts your self-esteem in a negative way, anything that you wouldn't want to have happen to a child of your own, for example. And that's a, right. a common question that I'll ask my patients. Did anything happen to you growing up that you would never want to happen to a child you care about, for example? And that that gives people a different perspective on because sometimes the the treatment of the child that's uh, responsible for this is fairly subtle. It can be just a lack of support, a lack of affection, a lack of right. being told that you um, are a worthy human being. Um, but when we uncover that, there's there's long term impacts in mainly three areas: uh, stressful personality traits like perfectionism. Uh, devotion to the needs of others to the point where it's detrimental to yourself, mm. uh, excessive self-criticism, a whole list of uh, personality traits that uh, developed because you were trying to survive an adverse environment. The right. second major long-term impact are the triggers, which are people, situations, or events uh, in your life today that are in some way linked or connected to or remind you of uh, traumas that you went through in the past. Uh, the most common of those is that uh, an abusive parent is still in your life today and still causing problems. And then the third major issue uh, that's a long-term impact of uh, childhood adversity uh, are repressed emotions. Um, these are negative emotions, obviously, anger, fear, shame, grief, guilt, uh, that you're not consciously aware of. Um, that very first patient of mine uh, had tremendous amounts of anger, but you could never tell uh, in conversation. You could, you know, she was talking to me about the stress she had suffered as a girl, uh, but using the same tone of voice you'd use to read a grocery list, you'd, you'd never guess uh, how much emotion was inside. Uh, it's like uh, people are sometimes like a, a dormant volcano on the outside yes. with boiling lava on the inside. That's so true. So my first thought is some kind of therapy, like, you know, talk therapy or some other type of mental health therapy, right? So is that part of it? or Yeah, for many people, uh, that's uh, necessary. But for a surprising number, uh, just bringing this into conscious awareness can be enough to uh, alleviate the physical symptoms. Uh, one of my patients, um, actually the first one um, in my first book, because I just such a striking story. She had been hospitalized at a major university on the West Coast 60 times in 15 years. Uh, her particular illness was uh, severe dizziness and vomiting. And these attacks would come on six to 10 times every year uh, for no rhyme or reason that anybody could understand. And she had every test you can think of, as you might imagine, right. at a you know, university hospital. And she ended up in my hospital with another attack. And when I went to see her, she actually said, don't waste your time. I've already had all the tests. I'm going to be better in a few days anyway. You'd be better off going to see your other patients. Well, you know, I couldn't resist a challenge like that. So I said, look, you know, I've, I've kind of been making lost causes a specialty of mine here in the last few years. Give me half an hour. Tell me your story and we'll see what we can come up with. And it turned out all of her attacks were linked to interactions with her um, abusive mother. Her mother was 
not physically abusive, but emotionally and verbally big time uh, abusive since she was three. And it was still going on now that she's 50 years old. So, you know, 47 years of emotional and verbal abuse. You think there might be some uh, repressed emotions around that, and there absolutely were. And by making that um, consciously clear to her, uh, I can still remember she looked up at the ceiling and said, oh, my God, I cannot believe it. And in her case, just bringing that into conscious awareness was enough to alleviate her condition. She went home the next day. She called me a year later when she was back in Portland, which is where I practice, to say she'd gone the whole year uh, with no problems. That's incredible. Now, I have another friend who has a very traumatic upbringing. And when water hits her skin, it hurts. And she's itchy all the time. And have you heard of that before, like skin conditions too? Oh, yes. Um, You know, itching, uh, numbness and tingling, uh, even some kinds of rashes. Uh, There's a doctor that is a colleague of mine who does this work who's a a dermatologist. And he sees patients all the time that actually have physically visible rashes that are linked to stress. So it it shocked me when I first started doing this work in the 1980s, what the brain could do to you. I mean, one of my patients, his stomach was completely paralyzed. You know, we did a special test because he was, you know, throwing up and couldn't keep anything down. Special test to see how his stomach was, uh, the muscles were contracting to see if it was emptying at the uh, expected rate of speed. His stomach wasn't emptying at all. The stuff just sat there for, you know, a couple hours until we, you know, stopped doing the test. Uh, But when he, when the stress in his life was identified and we were able to successfully treat it, the whole thing went away. So, yeah, profound um, levels of change. That very first patient, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, gross people out, but she was averaging one bowel movement per month um, oh my while, while taking four different laxatives at double the usual doses. Wow. Uh, you know, the, the fact that your brain could do that. Uh, I was never taught that as a physician, but the psychiatrist cured her. Uh, three months later, she was taking no laxatives and everything was fine. That's incredible. Have you heard of Dr. John Sarno? I have, yes. He's, he's amazing. It's kind of, it's reminding me of this. So years ago, I mean, years ago, back in 1999, I did a television show called Health Power, actually. So I named this that. And I had interviewed somebody about John Sarno's book. And there was this woman who happened to be traveling. Long story short, she happened to be in the area where the show was shown. She saw it. She read the book. She never had back pain again. And I think it is, and it's been so many years, but I remember that it did have to do with your thinking. Wasn't there a lot of journaling involved? Tell us. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, he was one of the pioneers in the field, and uh, he was a, a physiatrist, so he worked with a lot of uh, back pain patients. And yeah. he found that uh, many of them had no biomechanical explanation for their back pain. And he looked a little deeper and he found that many of them had these personality traits that I was talking about, or they had other sources of stress. And that when those issues were identified and addressed, the back pain frequently improved. Uh, And we found, you know, uh, people that he taught or uh, other people who have Mm -hmm. found their way uh, to these same principles have found that it applies just symptoms from head to toe, uh, as long as there's no um, biomedical cause for it, no uh, disease or injury that's explaining it. 
Yeah. Now you said earlier that sometimes it's enough for the person to know, but then other times they will need some kind of therapy. Does it depend on how early the trauma started or what they've been through in their lives, the different uh, ACEs, that's adverse uh, childhood experiences? Yeah, the adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, it, it depends, you know, how much treatment a person needs depends to a certain extent on the uh, severity of those, the number of those, how long they went on. Did they have uh, something to counteract that? Did they have a positive experience or a positive person in their life? Many of my patients who uh, tended to uh, heal more quickly had someone in their early life that believed in them. Uh, it might be a grandparent, it might be a teacher, but somebody that made them uh, internally feel good about themselves to counteract the negative internal feelings that they were getting from the ACEs. So there's a, a lot of variation in terms of severity of ACEs and resilience factors on the other side uh, that can determine whether somebody just reads a book and gets better or uses an app uh, like the Curable app that's out there for this or uh, takes one of the courses that we have um, on our endchronicpain.org uh, website um, or, you know, needs a, an actual uh, psychotherapist. But it turns out the um, only a small fraction of people uh, actually need a therapist for this. That's incredible. Well, tell us about those things you just mentioned. Start with the app and then tell us about some of the programs you have. Yeah, the Curable app uh, is wonderful. It was started by three people who had suffered from uh, psychophysiologic disorders themselves, and they wanted to do something for other people since there are uh, 50 million of them in the United States alone. And they created this wonderful app. They consulted with uh, me and with uh, at least a dozen of my colleagues that do this work, uh, took all of our best ideas and put them into a uh, user interface that's very friendly. And they've been you know, very well reviewed uh, by, by independent uh, evaluators. So uh, they get, um, I think it's 70% of uh, people who use it uh, are feeling better at the end of 30 days. Uh, on the endchronicpain.org website, we have classes. Um, there's going to be a new one uh, released in January that I'm in Great. post-production with. Um, we recommend books that are based on evidence. You know, there's one of the problems in this field is that there are lots and lots of companies out there that are selling uh, devices or supplements uh, that really have no more than placebo value. And oh, okay. there are randomized trials now, very good gold standard science mm -hmm. that show that pain relief psychology is miles ahead of those placebos. And that's what we're uh, pointing people towards, to use what's um, got strong scientific evidence behind it. And in our nonprofit, that's, those are the only things we put on our website. Now, I bet you've seen people who've been getting turned away for years and just are so hopeless. What's it like to actually meet someone like that and give them hope and real solutions? You know, most of my 7,000 plus patients were uh, to one degree or another out of hope because they had been to uh, the traditional uh, biomedical healthcare system. Uh, they had been to alternative healthcare uh, practitioners in many cases, and they weren't getting anywhere. I mean, I've had so many patients who'd been to the Mayo Clinic and gotten the you know very high quality. Uh, biomedical diagnostic evaluation, but nobody ever asked them about stress, you know, past or present. That's and crazy. The, the stories that you hear from patients that nobody has asked them about. Uh, one of my patients, when she was six years old, 
uh, her mom and dad went off to Las Vegas for a long weekend, and she stayed with aunt and uncle. On the Sunday that mom and dad were due to come back, they called up the aunt and uncle and said, we're getting a divorce and we're not coming back. And that was the last she saw of her parents for the next 20 years. And, you know, this was a critical piece of information in why she had been ill for the previous nine months. You know, we have to go into all the details, but um, nobody had, you know, nobody knew to ask about, you know, did anything difficult happen to you when you were a kid? Uh, I can't resist one more story. No, please. This was a patient who was 87 years old. She had been having abdominal pains more often than not uh, for 79 years. So you would think the obvious question would be, did anything happen to you when you were eight, 79 years ago, that was that was difficult or stressful or traumatic? And, you know, immediately she tells the story, which, you know, was nowhere in her medical record. Her own family didn't know this story. Uh, you know, I, again, I could tell the story for the next 10 minutes, but to make it no, uh, short, uh, she um, lived on a, a farm in rural Idaho in the 1920s is where she grew up. And she was the oldest child. Uh, a, a baby was born into the family who was child number five. And she was given care of that child and 24 um, seven, feeding it, sleeping with it, changing it, playing with it you know, all day long, and did that uh, for the next two and a half years. And then by then, toddler got, unfortunately, appendicitis and died. Um, And this was obviously a huge shock to her. The the whole community comes together for the funeral. She's in shock. You know, she's now eight years old. And her uncle says to her, you know, look, she's the only one in the church who isn't crying. And because she was in shock and, but her guilt, her guilt level at that point, after what the uncle said, just goes off the scale. And she's telling me this, you know, this detail about what the uncle said, 79 years later, uh, she's still remembering this and it affected her whole life. She, she cared for other people's children on neighboring farms. She became a pediatric nurse. She had four children of her own. Uh, but all this time, you know, starting very soon after the toddler's death, uh, was having stomach pains. Uh, and, you know, so what I did was I had her write a letter to the deceased toddler uh, just to explain her uh, thoughts and feelings about uh, that whole tragedy. And I can't say she got 100% relief from that, but 60 or 70%, I think, would be a good estimate. Well, that's huge. Gosh, you know, going back to my mom, she was... She always she had two or two or three bad knee surgeries in the early seventies, so she was in chronic pain from that. But then she got super thin, covered head to toe in rashes, could barely eat anything without being uh-huh. sick. Doctor after doctor, you know, oh, you know, Diane, you, we don't know, we don't know. And now I'm like, I know. It's really sad. I think so she's she still went, be alive. She went, through, she went through trauma as a child. Your mom, yes, yeah, and then you know, just. Yeah, it's really crushing because it makes me think maybe she wouldn't have gotten the ovarian cancer if she had done known what you're doing, you know, and was able to deal with that trauma because it was like trauma and then the sickness and then your body's weaker. So it's more susceptible. So you're doing such an amazing thing, Dr. Clark. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very rewarding. Uh, you know, I um, 
did not expect to be doing this work myself. When I got into practice in Portland, I just I sent referred patients to mental health. And unfortunately, uh, what dominates uh, psychotherapy these days is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And it turns out that's not sufficient uh, for uh, this group of patients. Uh, what they really need is this new concept of pain relief psychotherapy, of which there are several closely related subtypes. Um, but it, it gets into the emotions. Uh, it gets into um, mental shifts from uh, attending to what's happening in your body to instead starting to think about the stresses that are impacting your brain. Uh, it gets into the long-term impact of uh, childhood adversity uh, with respect to the helping you with personality traits, with uh, the repressed emotions. Uh, and with the triggers. And when you do all those things, um, people get better. And it was just very rewarding work. When people went to get cognitive behavioral therapy, a majority of them would come back to see me and say it, it didn't help. And, and the science is showing that now. The science is showing that when you compare uh, pain relief psychotherapy with cognitive behavioral therapy, the um, cognitive behavioral therapy falls way short. Let's put it that way. So. I ended up doing this work myself, and uh, it was, you know, one-third of my patients for 30 years, and uh, truly was wonderful to do. Well, how do you find uh, the therapist you just mentioned? It was the, uh, excuse me, chronic pain therapy? Yeah, not like, yeah, the uh, pain relief psychotherapy. Uh, We have a practitioner directory on the endchronicpain.org website. Oh, wow. And many of those practitioners will uh, see patients via telehealth. Um, There are also, as I say, the app. There are books. Um, Not everybody necessarily needs a psychotherapist. Many people, when they read the book, they get uh, insight into their personal situation. There are treatment techniques that people can do on their own. And, you know, if those are not sufficient, then definitely Mm -hmm. you can pursue um, more um, involved options. Can you include a couple of those techniques or just share a few what things people can do on their own? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For the personality traits, uh, I like people to ask themselves, what did you learn about yourself as a child um, that isn't true? You know, we human beings, we are learning creatures. We have a capacity for learning uh, that is just enormous. But if we grow up in an unhealthy environment, we can end up learning things about ourselves that aren't true. We can learn that we're a second-rate or worthless human being. We can learn that it's our job in life to take care of everybody else in our environment, uh, even if it's to our own detriment. And if we can see that we learn those things uh, as a kid because of an unhealthy environment, if we can see who taught us those things, um, that's the first step in making some positive changes. And starting to think of yourself um, as if you were born on the far side of Mount Everest or in a dangerous jungle. Uh, you know, your mom, for example, if she could think of herself in those terms, then she could have uh, a greater appreciation for the heroic perseverance that it took to get through that environment. And that more positive self-image uh, is huge for um, lowering your own stress level, for improving the quality of your personal relationships, for taking more time for your, your own personal joy. Um, all of those things um, bring the stress level down and, and bring your self-awareness up. Uh, for the emotions, 
you know, there's a, a lot that we could talk about there, but the easiest one is just to write a letter that you don't mail, but you just write it right. to the ace perpetrator, the person that uh, inflicted negativity on you or adversity uh, when you were growing up. Put all your thoughts and feelings, both good and bad, into that letter. And the more you can write down, the more you can put into words, uh, the less of those emotions are going to end up expressing themselves in your body in the form of symptoms. Sounds like for people who have been having any chronic health issues and they've been to so many doctors and been dismissed, this is what they need to be doing. They need it to is, look into this because this, yeah, is, this is amazing. Absolutely the next thing to try. I mean, when you think about it in terms of percentages, mm -hmm. just going to see a doctor, you've got a 40% chance that this is what is causing your symptoms. Right. Then if the diagnostic tests are negative, uh, the potential uh, risk of that problem goes up probably well over 90% at that point. And then if you try some of these ideas, identify the sources of stress, past or present, do some of the work to alleviate those, and your symptoms improve in response to that, then <clears throat> that's extremely strong uh, circumstantial evidence that you are on the right track. Well, this has been so incredible. Dr. Clark, is there anything that we didn't touch on? And of course, I want you to tell us all the ways we can find out. We want to get the app. We want to do all the stuff because, I mean, this just gives me so much hope. You know, I wish more than anything, my mom could have done this, but it is what it is. And But at least moving forward, you know, I can help other people by sharing you and your wonderful message here on Health Power. Thank you. Yeah, we put um, everything that is science-based on endchronicpain.org, and we're in the middle of making some major revisions there because there's so much uh, new science that's happening. My first book is called They Can't Find Anything Wrong, which is a collection of four dozen stories that illustrate the spectrum of different stresses that can make people ill and explains you know, what to do in response. Yeah. Uh, for people that are interested in the science, we have a textbook called Psychophysiologic Disorders, and I wrote it with a number of colleagues, uh, but we made it deliberately jargon-free uh, so okay. that the medical yeah. clinicians could read the psychological stuff and vice versa. But a fringe benefit of doing that is that uh, science-oriented readers uh, can also get a lot out of it. And I know that there are PPD psychotherapists now that are actually prescribing that book uh, for their readers who are interested in the science and people are getting therapeutic benefit from it. Well, I can't wait to read both. You're always welcome here on Health Power. This has been fabulous. I just really hope people out there, if you're having trouble and they can't, some you can't get your symptoms explained or figure out what's going on, please, please do check this out. And everybody keep coming back to the show. And if you like dogs, make sure to check me out on the Bully Girl Magazine podcast. Keep coming back. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.